When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey, my name's Nick. I'm one of the other hosts. I just got a haircut like Ezra Bridger, uh, season three. <laughs> and uh, Did you dye it blue? I did not dye it blue, and I also didn't get like a foot taller, unfortunately. I was really hoping while I was watching season three that I'd grow a foot taller and be six foot eight. Sorry for your loss. It's okay. My loss of height. <laughs> and I am your other guest host, the host of Armor Party, a podcast about Star Wars costuming. Mike Forster, I'm so happy to be here. And talking Rebels, yes. Three in a row, or four, and 11, or 12 in a row, you've been here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Hello there. Um, Ryan is alive. People have been asking. He'll be back. <laughs> Maybe he'll be back next week. Yeah, Maybe. we'll see how it shakes Maybe. out. But in the meantime, we also have a guest, old friend of almost 20 years. Holy crap. Whoa. Close to it, creeping on it. Dion Rex wrote, another bass player. Yeah. Bass player Van Berlin. Welcome, bud. Hey, long time listener, first time caller, guys. Thank you. <laughs> hey. Welcome to Think the Maker After Dark. It really is a thing. Bass players. I don't know why. It just is. Isn't it strange? Because even like with the, with all the like violent gentlemen, like people, like musicians that are associated with violent gentlemen, they're mostly bass players too. And then, like, I don't know, over the years, I've just, I'm not, a, like, you guys know me, I'm not a gear guy. Like, it's not like we're like, yo, Adam, yo, Dion, check out this bass, this pedal I got, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's like, no, we just talk about other things. We just happen to be bass players. It's so strange. Well, we've only got four strings, so it frees our minds up to deal with so <laughs> yeah. many other things. Yeah. We don't have to think about two other strings to play, you know? <laughs> Plenty of space. Exactly. jam our heads full of chords and stuff. You know? One note <laughs> at a time, yeah. Plenty of space. Yeah. Minimal solos. Mm, <laughs> good point. So, like we said, we're, uh, we're here to talk about Rebels. Again, we're on season three. We're doing it one season at a time. I like it this way, but it's also like, it's a lot to try to cram in. Mm. 20 episodes a season. I mean, after the first season, it got long. <laughs> I will say this. Season four is only like 15, though. Yeah. So it's like 15, yeah. 22, 22, 15. So. Let us also, though, wish and hope that everyone had an amazing May the 4th. Today is Tuesday the 3rd uh, at time of recording, but yes, I had a good time tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great day to be a Star Wars fan and a horrible time to have any extra money in your wallet because <laughs> generally I have no self-control when it comes to May the 4th. You know what's keeping me in check right now? The amount of money we're going to spend at Celebration. Mm. I'm like, Celebration is like three and a half weeks away. I can't spend money on May the 4th stuff right now. Sure. Yeah, I'm in that boat. It's a very rational thing. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about Rebels Season 3. What have you done with those plans? Star Wars Rebels, the third season, premiered September 24th, 2016 on Disney XD. Written, of course, by Dave Filoni, Simon Kinberg, and Carrie Beck. Directed by 
little change this season. Supervising director role went from Dave Filoni to Justin Ridge, who had prior to this done four Clone Wars episodes, and he was a storyboard artist actually on Avatar The Last Airbender. So I assume Filoni had known him for years. Mm, yep. Also a storyboard artist on The Clone Wars and other animated things, and then later worked as supervising director on Star Wars Resistance. Directors returning, Bosco Ang, Saul Ruiz, and Melchior's Wire, and then Dave Filoni for one episode, of course, episode 20, Bring Him Back Kenobi. The cast, we had the team, of course, and then Stephen Stanton was Tarkin in season two? Yeah, Tarkin was in season two. He's, he's had little bit roles here. Yeah, here so, so he had a bigger presence in this season, so Stephen Stanton voiced Tarkin and also old Ben Kenobi in episode 20, and welcoming the legend, Lars Mikkelsen, as Grand Admiral Thrawn, Forrest Whitaker as Saw Gerrera. Prior to this, he played Saw Gerrera in Rogue One, and Saw was voiced by an actor named Andrew Cascino in uh, The Clone Wars. So it was only after Rogue One that um, Forrest Whitaker said, yeah, okay, I can fuck with cartoons. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I didn't look at IMDb while watching this, so when I got to those G-Notion episodes... First thing that went through my mind was somebody's doing a horrible Forrest Whitaker <laughs> And then later I looked and saw that it was actually Forrest Whitaker. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> what else is important to note, though, is that Disney at this point had already filmed his part. Rogue One was already been filmed, right? So I don't know if it was a simple thing for them to be like, hey, you already did the live action part. We're going to introduce you as old beaten Sagarera. Would yeah. you like to do this, you know, one day of audio recording? And he was probably like, I'm in. And then from there, he's been pretty much Sagarera every time. They probably could have done like over audio overdubs for the movie and done this at the exact yeah. same time, same yeah. studio. Right. Kevin McKidd voices Fen Rao. You may know him from Train Spotting. He played Tommy and apparently was in several seasons of Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Owen Hunt. I never watched Grey's Anatomy, so cool for those who did. And in Train Spotting, he was the, the kind jock. That never <laughs> messed with heroin until, until, until he we did. didn't all know what happened. Tom Baker voices Bendu. Tom Baker, I, I didn't know this actor, but looking at his IMDb, holy shit, perfect dude to do this. He played the fourth doctor in Doctor Who from 1974 to 1981. Hmm. And from, from what I know of Doctor Who, this, I don't think there could be a better voice actor. Again, I'm not a fan, but it makes sense. I really like... Uh... I know this wasn't the voice actor's uh, choice here, but I really like whatever filter effect, whatever it is on Bendu. Yeah, There's yeah. just something that's really like creepily badass about it. I mm -hmm. really like it. It's very uh, Tom Hardy's Bane mm. from, from yeah. the yeah. Christopher Nolan yep. Dark Knight series. Like, There's definitely some points where I just expect him to just bust out in some like, line from the movie because <laughs> his voice hits like this very kind of gravelly but very glassy like mm -hmm. parallel thing and it's just yeah, like yeah. it's smooth but somehow rough and it's just got this effect on it he speaks at you but the voice comes from behind your head yeah totally whatever whatever you just said yeah. is correct <laughs> <laughs> i like it take back your shitty <laughs> mary elizabeth mcclinn voices governor price sam whitwer of course does maul and keon or keone young i'm sorry dude voices commander sato who Unfortunately, it meets his end in this season. With a holdo maneuver-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Do some real damage. 
it's a really big season. And I, I kind of knew going in, just scanning the list of episodes, I was figuring, okay, this, there aren't going to be many skippable episodes. And I was right. It's only four because there are lots of big things happening. You know, number one, is just like action packed right out of the gate. And it pretty much keeps that pace throughout aside from those four episodes that are on the skip list, big time vibes of like the empire strikes back and return of the Jedi in the first two part episode. I thought had little bits of Luke and little bits of that boost in pace that you feel in the openings of both of those sequels, you know, where we catch them in the middle of shit. They're right in the the heat of the battle. A lot of big introductions of big characters, big culminating moments. We get the introduction of Thrawn. Of course, um, Fulcrum returns as a different character. We've got all of Ezra's internal and external battles with the dark side. We have Maul's path that we get back into and then see the end of the Mandalore history and future, what that means for Sabine, all these big things happening. And then Obi-Wan, whose presence has been there since season one, continues, kind of looms over the show, despite the fact that he's not an active cast member. And then we get that culminating moment where we, we see the final battle, which we'll talk about later. It's a big season. What did you guys love about it? I definitely, I mean, I agree with you guys on season one. Like, it's kind of one of those things, like, if you can get through season one, if you go into it, like, a little skeptical or, you know, the animation is a little bit of something that bothers you. I was invested by season two, like, after getting through season one. um, I I had tried unsuccessfully to watch this with my oldest daughter when she was, like, three or four. And uh, I thought maybe since it was, like, a cartoon that maybe that, you know, I could get her, like, into Star Wars if I introduced her via a cartoon that would be a little more digestible than, you know, diving right in with A New Hope. And she was just like, was like, nah, I'm good. Let's go watch My Little Pony. <laughs> so it took me a while to get back into it because when I tried the same thing with her with Clone Wars and that didn't work either. But I thought Clone Wars was a little more too, like still a little more heady and adult. But I once I got past season one and I was so invested in season two, by the time I started season three, and the way it just jumped right in and was just like, I was like, okay, we're going, we're doing this. Like the storylines are so full circle. They're coming like intertwining with everything we know from the movies. And, and we can talk about this when we get to a certain episode, but I mean, it seemed like they really just looked at the season as a whole and stuff that was mentioned in like season two, like they were like bringing it back in season three, like with major plot points. And like I said, I was invested by se- by uh, after season two and then season three, I was just like, this this show rules. Like these storylines are awesome. And I agree with Adam, like there's not as nearly as many skippable episodes. I mean, almost every episode means something to the overall story for sure. At this point in rewatching Rebels, it's insane how many throughways there are from this series to everything like it is so Mm -hmm. connected and it's so awesome and yeah i mean the action's good the amount of like the cast at this point whether it's for an episode or two or whatever the cast of star wars characters is literally insane in this season i mean just getting to see thrawn is so cool and like (laughs) there's the one episode towards the end where he's like literally getting physical with uh callous and i'm just like i don't know there's something almost like funny about that i don't know yeah like just seeing him like hand-to-hand combat but it's animated there's just well every other time they show him his like hands behind his back yeah, or like, stroking yeah, yeah. his chin like totally. just in deep thought yeah. and he's like all right well here's some jujitsu let's go <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> also here's some sleeveless jujitsu <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm fully in you know something we talk about execution a lot on this show and something as crazy as the bendu works and it's yeah. so good like 
that is such a crazy concept for Star Wars, even though when we'll talk about it more in the den, it's not, it wasn't, someone didn't just like come up with this in 2015, you know, like it's, right. it's an older concept, but it worked and it was awesome. And I've always kind of like carried the flag for Rebels saying like, you know what, pound for pound, it's at least as good as the Clone Wars, if not better. And I'm kind of reinvigorated with this rewatch with how good Rebels is. The thing that was really interesting about this season, knowing what you know now about me as a viewer and watching Rebels first, my mind was like thoroughly blown at what the heck was going on within Star Wars. Like you've got the knights, like the Night Sisters, and you've got magics, and then you've got <laughs> Bendu, and then all this stuff. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And then you have these like amazing moments like Ezra and the Y Wing and like all this stuff that Again, at the beginning of when we kicked this series off talking about Rebels, I said this show made me look at Star Wars different. A large part of that is season three, season four. And we get some incredible Star Wars moments in this season. And yeah, it conceptually changed the way that I felt about the Force in such a... I used, I guess I used to think of the Force as like, oh, the good guys and the bad guys both have it, blah, blah, blah. But now this just... The Force is a much larger concept than I think I could have thought of. It's more than just lifting rocks and making people do things. Yeah, <laughs> that is correct. And this this is kind of just the tip of the iceberg because the, the stuff that goes down in season four, like you said, adding it to the idea of magic and all this other kind of stuff, it's maybe tough for some people to get into, you know, more casual Star Wars fans. But when you do embrace it, it makes it all so much cooler. And I'm I'm glad they had the courage to just go for it with some of this stuff. Like you said, Nick, something like the Bendu that on paper probably sounds idiotic to put yeah. in Star Wars. It really worked. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. You know, he's part of the finale of this season. So I said it last week too. I just, I love the concept and maybe this is the future of Star Wars in some way. I love the concept that the force is different things to different like kinds of people, you know, yeah. different beings, different races, whatever it is. It's, we're just getting like a slice of how, Jedi and Sith use it, but there's Bendu, there's Chiss, there's whoever. Like you mm -hmm. get to use the Force or connect with the Force in a different way, and that's that's really awesome. All right, let's get into our breakdown, and we'll start again with episodes to skip rather than giving you the essentials because there are so few to skip. It's just the easier way to go about it. So let's get into it. All right, episodes that are in my opinion, okay to skip. Although I think you should just power through these extra four, whatever. Oh, the patrons are going to love this. Eight, nine, 14, and 19 are skippable-ish. They're skippable. If you need to, you can skip them. And we'll get to why. But right now, let's get into the season premiere. Episodes one and two, Steps into Shadow, part one and two. Two-part opener, just like last season. Ezra has a ghost crew on a mission to rescue Hondo Onaka. So typical shenanigans you expect from Hondo. Hello, my friends. Exactly. Kanan meets Bendu, like we talked about before. Ezra gets promoted and he's in charge of this mission, but it, it goes awry because he's kind of reckless. There's a lot going on with Ezra. And like I said earlier, we get right into the heat of everything and we're catching Ezra in this like arrogant, angsty, kind of dark-sided little moment that he's having. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't want to leave witnesses. He'll. Just, he's just like killing people left and right, doing dark. I mean, even the look 
that he gives after he force forces this uh, ATDP driver to shoot his own troopers and then walk off the edge of this platform. And I think Sabine says, when did Kanan teach you that? And he goes, he didn't. Mm. And just looks in the camera with the most evil eyes. I mean, it's gnarly for the first few episodes. Kanan's been separating himself because he's blind. He's going through, he's got all this stuff he's going through. He's super emo. He's been meditating and that's affecting Ezra, of course. Ezra's been messing with the Sith holocron and learning things. Kanan finds out. They argue about it. It's a significant shift from the prior season. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost like they jump forward, you know, between the two seasons, but it still was like such a continuation of after everything that happened at the end of season two. I mean, obviously, they did a good job of showing that time had passed by giving Ezra a haircut and making him taller, like he had grown up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he's had, he had these new abilities that you didn't quite know why at, at the beginning of the episode, but it didn't feel like you were just diving right in and like, but I mean, it, it was like, a total continuation of all the like action and, and drama and everything that ended this, this previous season. There's a great conversation when Kanan meets Bendu, who for anyone who's listening to this, who hasn't watched rebels is this giant, uh, moose like, yeah. Like I feel a, like I look like, I mean, it just looks like a giant moose, yeah. like a moose dinosaur <laughs> stegosaurus maybe. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Stegosaurus meets a turtle meets a moose face mm-hmm. yeah. with a beard. And he always says, Kanan Jarrus, Jedi Knight. That's yeah. He can't say just Kanan or Kanan Jarrus. It's always hey, Kanan Jarrus, Jedi Knight. Very formal. <laughs> but also he is, what's interesting about him is that he's massive and he is seemingly like part of the planet. Yeah. Right? And so there's like this idea that like Kanan goes to find Bendu and Bendu just like emerges from the ground. But yeah. then he won't be in the same location another time. Mm-hmm. You're like, what is going on here? And when he first finds him, he just, he hears his voice and he's like, who is that? You know, and he of course can't see. So he doesn't, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what the hell is going on, but he meets Bendu and he declares like right off the bat, uh, I, I guess Kanan call, refers to him as a force wielder. And he's like, wielder, that's a baby interpretation, bro. <laughs> like I'm not the light. I'm not the dark. I'm in between. There's a great line there. And basically he, he positions the force as something that isn't this Jedi Sith binary. And that challenges everything that Kanan is afraid of with Ezra, you know, messing around with the Sith holocron and the, and the dark side tendencies. It challenges all that. And he basically says like, <laughs> guns don't kill people. People kill people about the <laughs> yeah. Sith holocron. And uh, that forces Kanan to then challenge all of his own stuff and come to terms with his own baggage, his own fears and at the end, there's a makeup between Kanan and Ezra, which squashes the dark side stuff to some degree. There's still more to come later, but he still has that like angsty teenage vibe for sure, about yeah. him throughout this yeah. season. Like he gets angry and like gets frustrated with people telling him to do things, mm-hmm. like clean his room or whatever, you know. Yeah. And there's very there's some Luke like I'm I'm good enough to do these things now. I'm going to do things on my own, you know. Like he makes yeah. decisions kind of earlier than he needs to or should in with his training, but with haste. there's that kind of Luke thing, yeah. So great episode or great pair of episodes. Episode three, Holocrons of Fate. This is where Maul really gets back into the picture. He takes the ghost crew hostage. It's just another ploy to get Ezra to help him on his quest to find Kenobi is what it comes down to. Maul wants to join the Sith and Jedi Holocrons because if you do that lets you see the future, essentially. 
and lets you uh, get answers to any question you want. It's like a like a genie in a in a lamp, so to speak. Kanan and Ezra have to go get the Sith holocron to give to Maul because they have to cut this deal with him. There's then another sort of trial, another test for Kanan because they have to go get it from the spiders and all stuff that sounds goofy on paper, but but is really really good. And then once they do join the holocrons, it's a pretty significant moment. It's pretty amazing. Kanan actually kind of sees him despite his blindness. It's pretty sick. I was wondering if, because, um, you know, holocrons are kind of imbued or embedded, with whatever the word would be, with, like, the force energy of the person that makes it, essentially. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's a Sith, it's, a, you know, it's a Sith holocron, or if it's a Jedi, it's a Jedi holocron, or, you know, light side, dark side. It's almost like joining the two together kind of gives the person that path between the way that the Bindu doesn't really veer towards light side or dark side. They right. just see a straight path through the force. It's it's like almost like total clarity. I mean, it's almost like putting two magnets together that that are, you know, won't, they're pushing apart. but Opposite you know, poles, like yeah. Yeah, opposite poles, but there's, you know, if there was something between them, it would just, it wouldn't go to either side. It would just, you know, move along. I almost took that whole thing because I, I had never heard of joining holocrons before this. So this was a new concept to me. So after... Bindu had made that comment about I'm neither nor, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of made it seem like join two holocrons together almost gives you like a peek into what it's like to exist in the force, but have no dark or light side tendencies. Like you just have clarity type right. thing and that, you know, and, and you kind of, you know, you kind of see Ezra and Maul get that by joining the two holocrons because they kind of lose themselves for a moment and become yeah. part of that. Because they see the same thing. They, they each have a question that they need answered. Yeah. And they have the same answer, but they're coming from different places. They have different motives. So Maul wants to find Kenobi, and Ezra wants the answer to how to destroy the Sith. And it turns out the answer to both of those is Kenobi, because, you know, he then brings Luke along, and, you know, it's the origin of Star Wars. But um, they need each other to see, and they both do see in that moment, but they don't fully understand so later, a few episodes down the road, they have to go rejoin their minds to see with more clarity. And it's just a really beautifully written story that these two people on opposite sides, when we're talking about this balance, are looking for different things that happen to be the same answer. Well, I mean, just look at Bendu has like no, for lack of a better term, politics when it comes to the force. You right. Know? It's like Jedi and Sith do. So it's like you constantly have this like, depending on what side you're on, you have a template of like what to follow. And it's like, I want to use the force to destroy the other side. And it's like, well, Bendu is just like, well, you can just be a part of this planet right here and chill if you want. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. When you guys are done killing each other, I'm just going to be chilling yeah. here in the rocks with my spiders. Yeah. <laughs> Episode four, the Antilles extraction. Antilles is, as you may have guessed, Wedge Antilles. He's a little baby, a little young man, a little young buck. Sabine goes undercover as a cadet in the Empire's Flight Academy to help break out Wedge because he sent out a message that he hoped would get to other rebels because he it wasn't what he expected. Turns out the Empire is a big piece of shit. He doesn't want anything to do with it. So um, they get him out. This is where we discovered that there are other Fulcrum agents. Fulcrum isn't just a name that Ahsoka used, although she coined that term. It's just a code name. And we find out later who the other Fulcrum agent is. Spoiler, it's an Imperial. I just thought it was a really fun episode, aside from like the, the thrill of seeing Wedge as a kid. 
all the, the, the TIE pilot training, all of like the Imperial training facilities for some reason are just really cool to see inside that process. Mm. Did anybody else just really wish they could fly in a TIE fighter simulator? <laughs> yes. Dude, so the fact sick. that they had the actual, the pods, you know, just sitting there <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I loved that. So great episode. I suppose you could skip this, but I wouldn't. I mean, Wedge being such a, I wouldn't say he's a big character, but just like an enduring character. Yeah. I mean, seeing origin stories like this is like, if you're a Star Wars fan, like, I mean, as soon as I saw the name of this episode, when it popped up as I was streaming it, my, I kind of like perked up. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I was yeah. like, I was like, I'm getting something awesome here, you know, and I, I enjoyed every bit of this episode for sure. And it's also, I mean, just if you weren't already convinced that Sabine was awesome before this episode, mm-hmm. the fact that she just essentially is like, yeah, just capture me. I'll get out of it. Don't worry. I'm going to go full Mandalorian on everybody and yeah. escape a Star Destroyer, you know, <laughs> it's like, or a, a training facility. And has really resilient hair because she dyes it black yeah. and then bleaches and recolors it after. No breakage. <laughs> yeah. Still looks great. Also, we Callus tips off Sabine and the cadets. That's the first indication the first real indication that he's going to turn and he ends with the line to tell Zeb that they're even. So good uh, planting of the seed there. Episode five, Hera's Heroes. This is about Hera returning to her homeworld to save her father. And mainly the big thing, although it doesn't end up getting saved, it's the Kalakori, which if you've listened to this podcast before and <laughs> you know what that word means, you, you've at least heard it. I feel like there's a few of our Den of Antiquities sound bites in, uh, in from the season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a calico. The dark saber. There were things <laughs> I had researched, but I didn't know where those sound bites were from until I watched this series. And I was like, oh, it's kind of yeah. good. Just gratification. <laughs> Thrawn ends up capturing Hera. It's a really, really good scene. There's a great interrogation and then reveal, which is great character exposition about Thrawn. That's, you know, it's stuff that's set for a reason. It's not just kind of dumped. So it's great for that. Then Thrawn kind of loses his shit in a really rare moment, kind of loses his shit on an officer who says something like, I, I think about the Calicoria, right? Says it like, oh, this just looks like some kind of like cheap, primitive yeah. local. Yeah, he calls it like piece of crap, like primitive trash or something like that. Yeah. And like Thrawn gets so pissed at his like lack of respect for yeah. like the details of a culture. Mm-hmm. Not, not that he really cares about the Twilight culture, it's like he's almost pissed at the officer for not paying attention to detail as an officer or yeah. as a, like yeah. a person in charge. Like you should respect this stuff because you know know thy enemy or something like that. Like he just gets so angry with the guy for being kind of ignorant and you yeah, know, like, like you uncultured little yeah. fucking peon. Yeah, and I mean I'm sure Thrawn because he's so cerebral like does appreciate art, but he does also in a very like empire sense use culture and art as just another tactic of like how to know your enemy episode six the last battle i love 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 this episode and if you're a clone wars fan you will probably also love 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 this episode it's something that like isn't consequential to the story arc of rebels per se but it it does resonate so heavily with the entire star wars animation part of the universe i guess so there's a salvage mission led by Rex, and they go to um, this planet called Agamar, where there's a super tactical droid. You would recognize the, the look of this droid from the Clone Wars, who has a bunch of clankers, a bunch of battle droids as well, a bunch of separatist droids. They've basically just been left there, not realizing that the war had ended. At least the, the battle droids haven't realized. And the main tactical droid 
is essentially like displeased with the way that the war panned out. Like, no, according to my calculations, there's no way that we should have lost. Like we outnumbered the Republic. This shouldn't have gone down like this. And the cool part about that is that he doesn't know that there was a a Sith that was playing both sides the whole time, you know, just by the numbers, like they should have won. So it comes down to the fact that he wants a rematch essentially to like prove his math. Correct. So Rex being in a similar position where he just kind of like all the rest of the clones after their job was done, they were kind of discarded. He's like, okay, I'm down for a rematch too. You know, Rex definitely has some PTSD in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's like a point where like immediately his brain switches and he doesn't know how to refer to Kanan. He keeps calling him like general uh, commander, uh, (laughs) you know, it's like, and then there's that point where he's like, he kind of like, does like a little like head thing like he even says to ezra he goes good soldiers follow orders yes and like scolds ezra mm. this episode specifically if you are clone wars fans clone wars and bad batch has some great lines in it that just make you either say like you either understand me you laugh or you're just like hell yes yeah you know it's like there's some really good the generation one armor always holds up i like yeah thing, just rex being who he is is such a great line there's a really great opening conversation where rex kind of just recounts the Clone Wars and he's filling in Ezra, but he's also filling in anyone else who hasn't watched. And there's also the funniest line. And I think the whole series and the first time that the clankers come out and they say, Roger, Roger, Ezra goes, who's Roger. <laughs> it's just brilliant. That's such a Jar Jar moment. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also just really, really fun to watch prequel trilogy and original trilogy tech battling each other. It's like something, you know, you would only see in a video game because there, there's this rematch of this antiquated stuff with, you know, what's at that time current. And it just, it looks wrong for a split second, you know, when you're seeing those two things side by side on screen fighting each other, especially, but it's perfect. And uh, I love it. Love the episode. How many years removed are we at this point? Revenge of the Sith is yeah. 19 BBY. Rebels started at five BBY and yeah. roughly follows like a one year per season thing. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in that ballpark, 14, 15 ish, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of years <laughs> to just be sitting. Just think, oh, look at how far an iPhone's come in those years in that time. <laughs> yeah. And they also, uh, last thing, they get a replacement for the Phantom, the small ship that attaches to the Ghost, which we lost last season. It's a separatist ship, the one that has kind of like an Orca fin. I don't know what the model is. It's like a pod sort of thing with a, a single fin. According to Wikipedia, it's just called, you ready for this? The Phantom 2. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right. Don't overthink things, you know? <laughs> Don't, I mean, what did we call the second Death Star? <laughs> Death Star 2. <laughs> what do we call Frog Lady, you know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then it ends, last thing on this episode, it ends with a very Clone Wars style, mm-hmm. yellow version of the Rebels logo. And the music plays that. That's those are notes in the uh, Den of Antiquities, mm. but the Clone Wars like outro music. Episode seven, Imperial Super Commandos. All you need to know about this is it is the concept come to fruition of Boba Fett, the original Imperial Super Commando in all white, which they didn't make because they didn't have the budget for it, and he instead turned into Boba Fett. Finally, it happened. So this is a, a little a subset of the Mandalorian culture who aligns with the empire they're all in white a little bit of painted stuff just like the clones did but it's those original costumes and it's a lot of mandalorian clan drama gar saxon who's from house Vizla and his troops they destroyed fen rao's base gar saxon tells sabine that her mother joined them aligned with the empire it's, it's a lot of drama because they you know she left her family she got a lot of baggage with that 
Fenra ends up joining the rebellion at the end of this. Sabine gets a jetpack. It's fun, and for no other reason, you should watch it just to see those sweet white Boba Fett costumes. The first note I made when watching this episode was Imperial Mandalorian armor is sick. Yeah. <laughs> All caps, sick. Just like the white with like the, the red triangle on some of the helmets. And like one of them it almost looked like he had like skull, it, like the bottom, it looked like a skull. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Like he had like teeth at the bottom. Like the Imperial Mandalorian armor is so sick. Mike, how common is that in the 501st? How many people, I don't see it much like online. Um, that's an animated build. Um, so it's pretty stylized. I think, uh, there's only a couple, that one in particular with that big triangle on the forehead and then the vented teeth at the bottom. I would be shocked if there's more than 10 Gar Saxons in the Legion, but Whoa. I could, I could find that out. Um, just cause it's a, it's a very specific, it's a, it's animated. And so then you have to kind of design, you know, there, there aren't a lot of vendors for it. A lot of people like to do what would be like a realistic version of it where you have the, yeah. you know, kind of traditional Mandalorian style. Um, or a lot of people like to do like the Maldalorian version where he's got the yellow visor and he's got the spikes yeah. and all that. So this season really fleshed out a lot of Mandalorian culture and I thought it was awesome and we'll get into it further, but like, yo, I need more snow planets. So crow's nest is yes. my spot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I looked the second time I watched this episode cause like, I was, I was like, okay, all this stuff's happening on Mandalore. There's clans of Mandalore that are in league with the empire at this point, obviously. When does the night of a thousand tears happen? I think, I think what I read was that this is like a year before the empire just obliterates Mandalore. That would make sense. So as we're moving on through this series and um, especially this season with all the Mandalorian stuff happening, starting with this episode with Sabine going back and facing what she had left behind you're seeing the start of the Mandalorian rebellion against the Empire with her return and fighting Gar Saxon and, you know, essentially trying to reclaim Mandalorian honor as a whole from these Mandalorians that are like, all right, we're Empire now, kick rocks. And yeah. There's all these other families that are like, no, we're not. We're still Mandalore, you know, like we're Mandalorian. Our clan is our, you know, thousands of years of heritage. So another, again, another very consequential episode that ties into everything we've learned in like the Mandalorian and book of Boba Fett and just so yep. many things. Another reason I've really come to love this series is because there is so much deep star Wars history and nuggets that are just built into every storyline throughout this series. Episodes eight and nine are both on the skip list. Episode eight, iron squadron. It's cool. It just, it's inconsequential on the, the, you know, the larger story. Mm -hmm. Basically the, these kids are trying to fight the empire and I guess the point is to show how powerful the empire is and how helpless little local groups are without the larger alliance, which is what we work to at the end. They think they're tough until like the big ship shows up <laughs> yeah. and they keep saying like, oh, I blew up a star destroyer and they're like, no, that was actually one of these. Oh no, now there's a star destroyer. No, actually <laughs> the real ones are six times bigger than that. So I would say that's the point of the episode, really, to just to, to show the scale of what they're working against. And then episode nine, the Winkathu job. This is Hondo and As Morgan. As Morgan's disgusting. Um, I can't, I can't really get As into As Morgan. Him. He's just he's a little asshole and he's gross. He's always like chewing with his mouth open and slobbering. It's basically like there's a job they have to work with these dudes reluctantly. Things go as you would expect with Hondo. It's fun if you like Hondo. I like Hondo, but. 
as Morgan's disgusting. You can skip it. <laughs> My only note for this episode was Hondo shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hondo nanigans. Episode 10, An Inside Man. Ezra and Kanan are infiltrating an Imperial factory on Lothal to investigate the production of a new weapon. Now, all of this stuff is kind of like just tiptoeing around the idea that the Empire's building something big, and it all ultimately culminates in a Death Star, obviously. But the cool thing about this is that Ezra's old friend, Sumar, who I think was in the very beginning of season one, he's been on Lothal the whole time. He has infiltrated the Imperial factory to sabotage the production line. So the speeders and the the walkers are just shitting out and exploding. And that's kind of how he's doing his part against the empire. And the coolest part about it is you really see rather than just hearing that, that Thrawn, you know, in exposition that he's a, a, a brilliant tactician and all this kind of stuff, you see him in real time root out the the rebels by forcing this dude um sumar to like oh yeah get on go ahead and test this the speeder over here so brutal like he knows the answer he's like yeah Yeah. go go try go try it out (laughs) i know i'm on to you (laughs) so this thing blows up and the dude dies right in front of all them it's it's pretty heavy ezra and kanan go in the factory disguised you know so they see this happen in real time Kalos reveals himself as fulcrum in this one helps kanan and ezra escape but stays just basically like can do more damage from the inside for the moment. So that that's what he ends up staying to do. Episode 11, Visions and Voices. Here's where it starts to get really heavy with Maul haunting Ezra. Ezra has this force vision of Maul. Like he's kind of seeing him everywhere. They're in this debriefing and he has this really intense vision, passes out, and they end up going to Bendu for answers, Kanan and Ezra, but Maul is there. This is where he really starts with the, the apprentice thing. He won't stop calling him his apprentice. And then it, this leads to, like we talked about before, needing to connect with Ezra again to see the full vision to find Kenobi. So they go to do this on Dathomir, bringing it back to Clone Wars. They do this Night Sisters spell, the green eyes, the whole thing happens. They have to drink this potion. So cool. It's really dope. And then, of course, they, they see, they have the full vision. They see the desert planet with two suns. Great line from Maul. He says, of course, it ends where it began. Desert planet with two suns. So sick. Dang. And then there's a, yet another Maul ploy where he's going to sacrifice Ezra's friends, trying to keep Ezra on board, though, still to make him his apprentice. And the best thing that comes out of this in terms of like their story and the, the progression of things is that in his gross lair hut, very much like, you know, a serial killer from... I don't know. It's like true detective style. He's got like pictures of his victims and stuff around his room. The dark saber's in there. Dark saber comes out during this process. Sabine gets a hold of it, and they end up leaving with the dark saber, which helps all of that unfold. I felt like it showed how complicated the idea of ownership of the dark saber is. Yeah, because in my mind, Sabine kind of wins it from Maul because Maul runs from her mm-hmm. when she has the light, the the dark saber. So it's like. She kind of kind of won it, but didn't. I feel like it specifically has the word combat in it. So, yeah. uh, like, I don't know. You can't steal it. You got to combat it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so strange because it's just like, I don't know. It, it, it kind of gives you the idea cause that it's a, it's a very complicated idea with Mandalorians on what the ownership of the Darksaber really means. Mm. Lots of good lines from Maul in this one. Regardless of uh, any questions you may have, just sit back and listen to Sam Witwer talk. He's so good. I feel like there was a very much a uh, a parallel between Maul trying to 
get Ezra to just let his friends die and the way that Palpatine was telling Anakin to leave Obi-Wan behind yeah. at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. For sure. Like, leave him. He's like, he's like his fate will be the same as ours. You know, it's like, because Ezra, during this season, there is that kind of torn between the light side and the dark side. And, uh, you know, Anakin by Revenge of the Sith is very much, you know, his character is torn from all the kind of like unseen grooming over the years from Palpatine, you know, slash Sidious to become his new apprentice. I feel like this was very much that moment for Maul where he was trying to get Ezra to fully sacrifice his friends. The, the parallels of the the Dark Lord trying to take on a new apprentice and trying to really break his spirit and trying to really get him to give up what makes him good, essentially. You know, and yeah. the idea of sacrificing yourself for your friends is something that is like an, like an inherently good trait that a Jedi would exhibit. So trying to get someone to... Sacrifice to do the themselves flip. or save their friends. Yeah. It's, sacrifice it's your friends for your own well, benefit. Yeah. It's a very Sith idea. So I, I, I loved that parallel. Again, tying into everything I love about everything that I've, I've watched before this. Episodes 12 and 13, another two-parter, Ghosts of Geonosis, part one and two. This one is another thing that challenges some kind of, challenges some things from, from older Star Wars movies just like the stuff in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett challenged our perception of the Tuscans, this challenges our perception of the Geonosians because like everything else that the Empire touches, it's just that planet is wrecked, just another species of people that are almost entirely wiped out. So the ghost crew goes to Geonosis. They need to meet up with Saw Gerrera because Saw's team went there to investigate some things and they kind of lost contact there's a lot of good backstory, you know, Rex telling stories of training Saw and Stila in, in the Clone Wars, uh, Stila being Saw's sister. They, they find old battle droids and destroyers in the ca- cavern. So again, more, more throwback to that. And the, the planet at this point is supposedly uninhabited, but there's an active shield generator. There are these battle droids that are operational. So someone's there. Saw suspects that it's a Geonosian. It turns out to be. And there's, there's some back and forth about Saw. I mean, he, he's definitely leaning towards that ruthless, like, lives are going to be lost to win this war kind of thing. It's very, very much like a, you know, pick like a character out of any anti-Vietnam military movie. You I know? feel like this was the first time after everything we know from Saw and where we know he ends up in Rogue One. I feel yeah. like this was like the full-on, like, heel turn, you know? Yes, like he yes. Was, now you're seeing... He's on his path to being the dude in Rogue One. For sure. Yeah, like if this was Vietnam, he would definitely be that dude that would be cutting ears off for trophies. And like he's yes. just, hmm. Brad in the chat said, Saw is really starting to get whacked out of his mind in this one. Like, I agree. Yeah. Like that laugh he does, that <laughs> like that weird, like, yeah, it's a pretty like, oh, that, this dude does not have a grasp on reality. Like the way he's laughing tells me that. <laughs> but there is a really funny line, despite all the heaviness around here. There's a few lines. Uh <laughs> Kanan jumps across this giant chasm, you know, uses his force jump abilities. I wish I could see that in live action. It's pretty cool. But Saul goes, oh, I, I always forget they can do that. And Rex goes, yeah, but he's no Skywalker. And Kanan from down the hall goes, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. People don't forget. It's one of two Anakin Skywalker quote <laughs> references in this episode. The other one being Hera when she's in the ship and like the ghost oh, is getting like jammed up from all the sand. She goes, stupid sand, it gets everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No, it's Sabine, right? Is it Sabine? Yeah, I think it is. But either way, they're shot in this like sandstorm and it's like they yeah. got to take the ship down. She's like, stupid sand, it gets everywhere. Amazing. <laughs> Love it. 
The long and the short of this is they, they find the one gene ocean and he's protecting this egg. It's a queen egg. So they're not clear about whether there are more gene oceans, but all you need to know is there's, there's one queen egg left and that's kind of the key to their species not dying off. There's a back and forth with Saw. Ultimately they end up, because he like holds the thing hostage. He's holding a gun to the egg. They end up working it out. Oh, here's the really cool part. They ask this gene ocean who <laughs> Ezra nicknames Click Clack because that's all he can make sense of what he's saying. And he says, well, what was the empire building here? And he draws in the sand a circle with a small circle off center that looks just like the Death Star and is definitely the Death Star. But then at the end, they find these canisters, these circular, like spherical canisters at the bottom of this cavern that have a Republic logo or uh, an Imperial logo on them. And Rex is like, yeah, look, just like his drawing, a circle inside a circle. Yeah. And you're like, no, bud, sorry. It's yeah. it's way worse. Well, because the Geonosians, at, well, it was at the end of Revenge of the Sith, right? Like they had the Death Star plan, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. So like we all know that. And then the couple of times in that episode, you're just like, oh, come on, guys. Death Star, <laughs> come on. Episode 14, Warhead. This is on the skip list. It's kind of like another droid side story. It's a cool looking droid. It's this probe droid disguised as an RQ protocol droid, which is that model that we've seen a few times in the series that looks just like Ralph McQuarrie's original 3PO concept. He's got kind of the ridge down his forehead. He looks mm-hmm. more early mid-century sci-fi rather than the final 3PO design. Mm-hmm. They neutralize the droid is fine. It starts self-destruct sequence. They send it back up to the ship and it blows up there. They take out a Star Destroyer and it's sick. Fun to watch. But again, inconsequential to the larger story, and you can skip it if you want. Episode 15, though, Trials of the Darksaber, definitely not a skip. This is Sabine literally doing the trials of the Darksaber, training with it. It has a good little uh, exposition kind of dump at the beginning from Fen Rao telling the legend of the Darksaber, which is a really cool and definitely unique storytelling device that they use where he starts to tell this story and then the camera kind of tilts up and you see the shadow of, I guess he's holding the Darksaber maybe in his hand. So you see the shadow of it on the wall and then the shadow morphs into this animated, just silhouetted. It, it, it morphs into the shapes of everyone he's telling the story about. So you see it as a, a flashback, but just in this shadow turned silhouette. It's really creative and cool. It reminded me of uh, Harry Potter Deathly Hollows when they go into the, the Three Brothers story. Yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. Kind of silhouetted animation style. It, I that was the first thing that popped to my mind. I was like, "That's really cool." Especially the the transition from the regular animation to that was was rad. And then there's there's a lot of drama between Sabine and Kanan because of all Sabine's baggage. Kanan's as well. He's not the best teacher per se. He's afraid for Sabine's safety. He doesn't want to train her with an actual live saber. He doesn't want her to have the dark saber yet. So they're using sticks. And Hera's like, dude, you have to just like trust her and just go for it. And he's like, well, I I don't want her to hurt herself. And she says, nothing can hurt her more than the loss of her family. Yeah. Hera can relate to that, of course. So it's just like, dude, just go for it. Let, you know, trust her. And by the time they do, and they're fighting with live sabers, she goes through the same thing that that Mando goes through in, in The Mandalorian with the weight of the dark saber and fighting it rather than working with it and letting sort of the force flow through the crystal. That part's interesting to me, like where Din was like, having problems carrying the saber and fighting against it and all that stuff. I kind of didn't remember that this was really in Rebels. Yeah. Now, when I watch this episode of Rebels, I'm like, oh my God, there it is. Like, yeah. you can't fight the dark, dark saber. It'll, it'll 
get heavier, it'll be harder to wield. But I don't know, like, I feel like how Kanan says that kind of goes over your head. Right. Now it means a lot, but I, there, I feel like there was a reason I didn't remember that is part of how to wield the Darksaber is not fighting against it. The last thing to take from this episode is in this moment of acceptance and Sabine having the breakthrough, it's about her coming to terms with all of her baggage, the fact that she carries the guilt, she blames herself for everything on Mandalore and everything with her family. She developed the weapons that the Empire then used against Mandalore. It's really brutal. But in the end, she brings it all together. She wields the saber. She kind of steps up. Fen Rao then pledges his commitment to her as the apparent heir to the Mandalorian throne. And it's a pretty powerful ending. Moving on to episode 16, The Legacy of Mandalore. She returns home, Sabine, with Kanan and Ezra, finds her family all in this big power struggle, all the drama that we talked about earlier, reveals the Darksaber to her mother. It's a lot of drama, again, because Mandalorians are just complex. They've got all these codes, all this fighting, different alliances. It's a damn mess. Ultimately, it's about Sabine pleading with her mother to join the rebellion, and her mom's like, look, we didn't have any choice. Like, either we align with the empire and save some semblance of status in our culture and literally save our lives or we fight it and we're all dead. I mean, ultimately they're all going to be dead anyway, but that's what she's dealing with. Fen Rao shows up, Sabine battles Gar Saxon. She then earns the dark saber, wins it in combat, but there's a great line at the end because at this point she is now truly the heir apparent of the throne of Mandalore. She can wield the saber as its rightful owner, but she says, this was about family. I'm not Mandalore's leader, but I'll find the person who is. And I think that's what we're talking about in season three of The Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. There's a great moment. I, I, again, what I was saying about how the, the Darksaber is kind of complicated because you don't necessarily have to win it from its rightful owner. You just have to win it in combat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, like it could bounce around to six different people in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> Gar Saxon didn't win it from Maul. But yeah. her winning it from Gar Saxon made it hers. Yeah. There's like maybe a tricky gray area somewhere that if we were in a court, it, someone could probably argue their way out of it. I don't know. But <laughs> it, it's just that fight with Gar Saxon is so sick. And when the like rendition of Binary Sunset kicks in during that fight. Yeah. I, I was just like, oh, the way that they use the original score of yeah. the original trilogies, but it's like it's like a different rendition. They use it so perfectly at such perfect moments in this series that, like, if you are a fan of just Star Wars in general, you will get chills and you will be like, I love, I, sorry, I criffin love, <laughs> <laughs> Carabast, I love this show. Yeah. So We haven't mentioned it enough, but, like, legitimately Kevin Kiner is a genius when uh, it yeah. comes to, like, this this series in particular. Like, my goodness, using all of those the, those themes and leitmotifs and all that. I mean, it is so, so good. Ugh. When every episode ends, the beginning of the outro music gets me so pumped. Yeah, It's just going into the next episode, but it's so good. I've n I never get pumped when, like, an episode ends normally, but, yeah. like, in this show, like, when the episode ends, that music kicks in, I'm like, yes! Yeah, oh, wait, it's over. So I'm good. sad but equally happy. I don't know what's going on with my <laughs> yeah. life right now. Yeah. So Adam, you just said something about like the, you know, finding the rightful leader and you think that's where season three of Mandalore is going. I think that that's too far ahead. Like season, yeah. like what we're seeing in season four is Sabine handing over the sab dark saber to Bo-Katan. So that's more where this is going. 
It's what the armorer references with Bo-Katan thought that she could wield it just because of her family's name. Right. And Sabine, mm-hmm. this is a reference to Sabine meeting with Bo-Katan and saying, I'm not the leader of Mandalore, but you're Bo-Katan. You're, you're half House Kree's. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you are the one that ne- that should lead. Because we see that in, um, you know, Bo-Katan returning to uh, Mandalore in the last season of Clone Wars to free her people and, you know, all the history with her sister and, like, just, like, her family, they were leaders of Mandalore. It it would be essentially like if you watch any Elizabethan or whatever historical movie where it's, like, all these people fighting over a throne. It's like, I have a right to this. I have a right to this. Bo-Katan's family, Darksaber aside, would essentially have the right to the lineage to rule Mandalore. So this is definitely that that reference to Sabine after this and before the Night of a Thousand Tears, she finds Bo-Katan and says, here's the dark saber. You are the one who can lead this people. And with this, you will have the rightful claim. But as we know from end of season two of Mandalorian, you can't just hand it off. And the look on Bo-Katan's face in that episode makes so much sense with the history of the dark saber. Yeah, you know, if I if I haven't said it enough during this recording, like how much I love the things that this series ties in with everything that we've seen with not just the movies and the Skywalker saga, but just with the series with Mandalorian and Boba Fett and what we're gonna see with Kenobi. There's so many good things like this that you know they knew exactly what they're doing. They weren't yeah. just writing willy nilly storylines. I mean, this is a very big moment that is essentially the beginning of the end of Mandalore as a planet. Yeah, that's not, that's, <laughs> like, that's not a throwaway line. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, that's what follows is the entire planet being bombed by those sweet-ass TIE bombers, you know? Yeah. Episode 17, Through Imperial Eyes. This is all about Callus and furthering his defection to the Rebel Alliance. They, they try to go in and extract him, basically, because they know it's him. They come in in disguise. He doesn't know he's supposed to be extracted. Ultimately, like the long and short of this is that they have to sneak into Thrawn's office to remove the location of the rebel base from his records and add a new one as a decoy. They do it. It's a, it's like a little mini uh, Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And in the end, they frame this other lieutenant. They use his, uh, his code cylinder. So they frame him as the one who went into the office. They frame him as Fulcrum. But in the end... Thrawn puts it all together. He realizes that dude was framed. He's not smart enough to have done it. And he tells Yularen, no, we're not, we're not going to go after this dude yet. We're going to leave him in place because he's more valuable as Fulcrum than as an officer, more valuable than he ever was as part of the Empire. So we'll leave him in place now. He's just looking, you know, a dozen moves ahead in the chess game that he plays with everyone. Episode 18, Secret Cargo. This is about the crew helping transport a valuable rebel leader, that valuable rebel leader is none other than Mon Mothma because she spoke out against the emperor in public. She's basically got a target on her now. And at the end, Mon Mothma makes another broadcast, officially resigns from the Senate, declares her commitment to the rebellion. This is something that she puts out to any potential rebel sympathizers. And then there's kind of this moment of suspense, but then ship starts showing up, coming out of hyperspace and it ends with the line, this is our rebellion. We see it all kind of coalesce at the end. Kind of like the moment from uh, the end of The Rise of Skywalker. Like, it's, it's just people. Totally. I was just going to say, it's a very similar. 
Good vibe. One of my favorite things in Star Wars lately has been ships coming out of hyperspace. I don't yeah. know why I love it so much. <laughs> Same. It looks I so think, good. I think it started during Bad Batch. Anytime their like shuttle would just come out of hyperspace and it would just kind of like yeah. appear and just kind of float. I just I don't know why I love that. The, but at, in this episode, so many ships coming out of hyperspace. It's so good. Because <laughs> they're just, usually they're so massive too. Yeah. And you just kind of, in my head, why I, because I've thought about this before, like just seeing massive ships kind of in orbit, not I guess in orbit, but like on the planet. I'm like, how sick would it be right now if there was a Star Destroyer like over my <laughs> yeah. house? You know, like yeah. how big that would be. Because all you ever see is a plane. And, yeah. You know, it's, like, it's probably like the, 300 times the size of a plane would be a, a star destroyer you know like man it would just be so cool to have those things like just kind of chilling episode 19 double agent droid this is on the skip list it's a droid episode chopper and ap5 infiltrate an imperial station chopper gets hacked they figure it out everything's fine <laughs> if you like droids watch it if you want to skip it skip it episode 20 twin sons never under any circumstances skip this episode Hard agree. Skip all of your kids' birthdays from <laughs> 1 to 40, but don't skip this. <laughs> it's all about Maul and Ezra and Kenobi, the three of them. Like, what a sentence to say. So Ezra has this force vision. I mean, it's a vision, but it's, it's Maul calling through the holocrons, trying to lure him to help him find Kenobi. It opens with that iconic moment of Maul screaming Kenobi to the sky Kenobi. Kenobi! And hopefully everyone's seen by now the behind the scenes of Sam Witwer doing this in the studio, and it's like, why was this dude not in a metalcore band? <laughs> he's just wandering through the desert. He's lost. He can't find Kenobi. He's just desperate, so he activates the holocrons, gets Ezra there, and he ends up kind of lost in the desert, but then he's found, just like Luke, by old Ben Kenobi, just like Luke. But that silhouette was done purposefully. Dude. Totally. So good. We cannot possibly say enough good things about this episode. It's legitimately some of the best Star Wars of all time. I feel like even if you watch this one without any frame of reference of the entire series, you could enjoy this as a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Just the opening shot with like the pan down from the twin sons. Yes. Everything about it. I mean, it was it was just pure star wars vintage star wars from beginning to end yeah could, we could probably do an entire episode on the kind of extremely quick lightsaber battle or <laughs> yeah. their lack thereof yeah but there, there's so much depth to that because kenobi's a different warrior at that point or not even a warrior not even a jedi probably you know technically at this point like at some point he obviously like learned how to be calm with his lightsaber mm -hmm. and be a little bit more like of a tactician and ends Maul finally with two, three moves, whatever it was, as opposed to their first battle, which Maul is obviously still like carrying with him, yeah. was much more of like a sword fight, you know? So that, that whole scene is just very awesome. And for like the people out there who are like, well, that's it. It, only, it took 10 seconds. It's like, well... Oh, dude, it was perfect. One of, us, one of them has learned a lot in the last, you know, 20 years. Yeah. And, and it's Obi-Wan. He so. was so, I mean, if, if, if you really want to, like, compare the two battles, I mean, Maul was so calm in Phantom Menace and mm -hmm. Obi-Wan was so emotional. Yep. Flip yep. it now, Obi-Wan's been meditating and he's been on a freaking, like, walkabout in the desert for, you know, 
20 years, whatever, 15 years at this point. Mm-hmm. He has like centered himself. He's Zen. It's almost like he's not surprised that Maul is, you know, is still alive. I mean, there's the yeah, line yeah. in Clone Wars, like, he's hard to kill. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. if it's almost like he's just been sitting, honing everything about being a Jedi at this point, not just, you know, like watching over Luke. So when he he's so calm and centered when he when he has that fight and Maul is so unhinged that yeah. the dude is obsessed with one thing and one thing only is Kenobi you know and like I, when I first watched this I had to watch it again I was like wait what just happened did Maul just have yeah. like an emotional breakdown and now yeah. Obi Wan's I didn't I didn't realize that Obi Wan had actually like well that's that's the the where Disney comes into yeah. it where you couldn't like see anything gruesome but I mean in in a weird way like. Kenobi sliced him in half one way and Phantom Menace and he sliced him in half the other way. (laughs) You can't really see it, but that's definitely what happened. (laughs) Well, horizontal didn't work, so I'll try vertical this time. Where's where's the heart on a death of Mirian? One thing, too, that I I thought was a little interesting, unless I'm misinterpreting this, but I don't think I am, is their conversation when Kenobi's like holding him as Maul's dying and Maul asks him, like, is he the chosen one? And Kenobi kind of just, is what, Luke's the chosen one now? Is that what we're saying here? Like, what's going on? From Kenobi's point of view at this point, it has shifted because he looks at yeah. at Anakin. As the fallen. As, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, a failed prophecy or he, he didn't turn out to be the, the chosen one. So yeah. from a certain point of view, yes. Mm-hmm. There, there's definitely some great Kenobi lines in this episode, which, again, if you aren't even a... You know, if you don't watch any other episode, this is the episode you can watch, which I'm just blowing my reveal later that this is my favorite episode of the entire series (laughs) for sure. But there's definitely the line where Kenobi says, look what I've risen above. Yes. (sighs) Look what has become of you, a rat in the desert. Look what I have risen above. Which, again, just signals that Dude is just 100% zen at this point. Mm-hmm. But also, he has that great line, the truth is what we make of it. Yes. And this, very much of from a certain point of view. And I think Kenobi has seen the bigger picture by this point. This kind of speaks into him saying, yes, he is the chosen one. In the sense that it's not just one chosen one. It's essentially like all part of the force yeah, it's God's plan. <laughs> it's the will of God. I don't know, like too political. Know, just, <laughs> sorry, uh, everybody just signed off the chat. It's just the four of us now. <laughs> Star Wars is not political. There's no religious thing in it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Thank the Maker. Um, the thing that I love because this is a long episode, so I'm gonna go quick on this. The thing I love about this episode, there's another great line that Obi Wan says because Ezra. Now, mind you, like put your perspective on Ezra. Ezra has really only met one Jedi Knight in the flesh, and that Jedi Knight was a badass warrior that got bested by Maul, right? Yeah. And then he has this moment where Maul finds out that Kenobi's here. And Ezra is panicked because he's like, I just led him to this old man in the desert and he's Maul is going to just eviscerate this guy. And I did that. Right. So you, you do see that like swing back from the balance that he's dealing with, with the Sith. And he's like, I'm, I'm like craving this dark side. And so like, you can see that there's still so much good in him. You know, Ezra's like, "I, I, I led him to you. Let me make it right. Like, let me go up against him. And Obi Wan replies with, that is not your responsibility. I will mend this old wound. 
Yeah. Which is amazing because like it goes to show that like Maul's entire survival has existed on his anger, which is the ultimate power of the Sith, right? And so yeah. the only way that he's been able to survive is because of that. And what makes it amazing is that Maul does the same move that kills Qui-Gon Jinn and Kenobi has been thinking about this moment and knows mm-hmm. that a guy blinded by hatred, that the last time we saw each other, he's going to do the same thing. This is like your ancient samurai philosophy, like never uh, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. Yes. And he did the exact same movie. Cuts like it's 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 so poetic. And Obi-Wan also kind of took one of Qui-Gon stances too, right? Like kind of like the more yeah. like baseball stance, like yes. baseball bat stance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and just step on the Den of Antiquities right now. He goes through three stances. He opens with the classic two-finger prequel stance. Right. And then he switches to the more defensive A New Hope stance that when he, when he meets Vader, when he first ignites the lightsaber and then settles into the Qui-Gon, like you said, kind of baseball stance, mm-hmm. more of a, an aggressive battle stance. It's crowding the plate. <laughs> and, and then it's, it's three hits, and it's done. Right. And it's like, for me, it, it, the modern equivalent of that is like the moment where the bride kills Oren Ishii in Kill Bill. Yes. And yes. there's just mm-hmm. this like, and all of a sudden you just see the top of her scalp flying and then you get this classic Tarantino moment. But there's like, it's, it's so much of that harkens back to like samurai films yes. and just this fact that like, if, if it's two skill swordsmen, there isn't swashbuckling. It is going mm-hmm. to be over very quickly. Exactly. And so I think, and then just with the, with the, the show ending and that moment of them together and Kenobi really embracing Maul and saying like, I'm going to lead you out of this life is just incredibly poetic and then for the show to end with little luke i mean you're like oh oh like, dude it's just and the score oh. in that part as he's approaching he goes through like four different themes right from a new hope and yeah. and, and the and the and you're like classic like dusk twin suns in the proper color like everything up you're yep. like so I mean, yeah, sure. I'm Dion, I'm with you, man. I mean, it's really hard to not make it seem like this is the best episode because like mm-hmm. this this is one of the best episodes in all of Rebels. So I'm good, man. I'm yeah. with you on that. I just love that Kenobi was up all night fighting an age-old nemesis, saving a a you know, new Jedi, and just all this stuff coming ahead. He's like, Well, sun's coming up, gotta go check on the Luke. <laughs> he just rides yeah. out, you know. Yeah, and- gotta go find another blurg and right over to the large homestead. You, I mean, you hear Aunt Beru just calling Luke. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's such a good ending. It's perfect. He's just so calm. And meanwhile, we're like, wait a minute, Darth Maul was literally like a hundred feet away from Luke Skywalker at one point. Like what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kenobi's like, it's, so, it's so good. Oh my God. It's, it's, I mean, literally, I, I said it before as something I made note of for later in the season, but the full circle moments like this, that this series has the plans, the overall thinking that this show has is incredible. Okay, let's wrap up the episode breakdown here with this two-parter, episode 21 and 22, Zero Hour Part 1 and Part 2. This is the, the final battle. The Empire is finally at their doorstep. Thrawn knows that the Rebels are preparing to strike the TIE Defender Factory. He knows that General Dodonna's fleet is in on it, General Dodonna being the old white-haired dude who we see here in the show, but we, we know him from the original trilogy. It all culminates, I'll skip all the details, but it culminates with this big battle where they know they're going to be outgunned. The rebels know they're going to be outgunned. 
Kanan goes to find Bendu to ask for help. And it's really interesting. Like, it, there's a lot of stuff that's left up to interpretation. Kanan, ha- like, has an argument with this giant dinosaur moose, calls him a coward, and then he has this, like, outburst. His eyes go red, glowing, and lightning everywhere, and then he disappears. It's like Marty McFly, like, did you just call me a chicken? Exactly. Like, he gets mad. I'm like, I thought you were all this, like, balanced dude. Bindu, come on. Yeah. But maybe he wasn't. But I, I had that exact thought in the moment. But then when he gets all mad, I'm like, well, he can get mad and he's cool with that because he can go that direction and not go too far because he's in the middle. Point being, the battle actually goes down on the planet Adelon, which is where the base is, where they've got this shield generator that Sabine was building, but it wasn't quite built yet. And she's she's back on Mandalore. So there are all these like moving pieces and it's it's very much like the end of Return of the Jedi or the end of the rise of Skywalker, where there, there are all these people in different places, all these moving parts, and everyone has to come together. Everyone has to play their part to win in the end. Sabine comes back. Ezra is out in a spacesuit running across Star Destroyers with the Mandalorians with jetpacks, blowing stuff up. Kanan's summoning Bendu. Bendu's shooting lightning out of the sky. There, there are like AT-ATs shooting a storm in the sky. Like all hell breaks loose. But in the end... It's kind of a draw. It is a victory in a way for the rebels because they do a lot of damage, but they also take a lot of damage. And it's hard to put my finger on like what the biggest moment of this really is. And I guess you guys chime in here, but it's kind of like it's the Bendu saying, I am the Bendu. I bring death. You know, that he comes to, you know, rain down hell on the Imperials and then he ends up seemingly dying. Thrawn actually like fires a kill shot at his head on the ground, but then he disappears and you hear him laughing because he became one with the force or he was always just kind of immaterial. It's interesting. So I I had a, I had a thought about this because the first time that, uh, Kanan meets Bindu and then you have, um, was it Holocrons of fate? The first time Ezra meets Bindu and he has to go into the cave Mm-hmm. And I found very strong like parallel to the cave on Dagobah. For sure, yeah. And one of the reasons Yoda went to Dagobah was it was this very like powerful force, dense planet essentially. Right. But you have these spots where there's like a cave, and you know, like a force nexus. That, yeah, you have these like caves, and I don't think it's really a coincidence that the Bindu existed near this cave. Right. Which is one of the reasons he was kind of enraged was that it was like, you brought war to my planet is something he says, yeah. right? So um, he's kind of the manifestation of the force on that planet is the way I kind of took that, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. You know, even though Thrawn like, fires the kill shot, he just kind of disappears like, yeah, you can't kill me. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, you, yeah. like, yeah, I, I get that you kind of like, you killed my like force manifestation, but I, I am this planet because the force dwells within this planet it's everywhere you know like type thing so the imbalance that was brought to where the bindu dwelt was what angered him in my head while you were talking i'm like imagine you were just like alone in paradise on an island like fully zen like awesome and someone brought war to your island how bummed you like you know like you'd be pretty pretty bummed so i think at at a certain point bindu is just like well i think shit's going to go down regardless so i have to get somewhat involved and and he gets somewhat involved he might tip the scales in a little bit of like there's just this small sect of rebels fighting this massive empire and it's like okay well this one was a draw but technically that's kind of a win for the rebels if yeah a small sect of rebels have a draw with 
the empire at this point. And they took out that the one that generates the the huge tractor beams, the one that has the two oh, the domes on the gravity well. Yeah, yeah. Sato sacrifices himself, crashes the carrier into that. So they did a lot of damage despite, you know, taking a lot of losses. So the biggest thing to take away from this too, that the finale is a throwaway line at the time. Bendu says, you cannot see, but I can. I see your defeat, like many arms surrounding you in a cold embrace. It's like, that is, yes. whoa, what does that mean, Bendu? Thanks. And then when we cover season four, mm. it's like, uh, okay. Yeah. Real, real interesting. Yeah. It's like, it's like they planned it all ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So to recap, skippable episodes, eight, nine, 14, and 19. Just four. Everything else, pretty essential. All right, let's move on to the Den of Antiquities. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark side. Oh, gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Hey, here we are. We're in the den. It's warm. It's moist. It's not moist. It'd be, we don't want to be in a moist den. Anyway. Mildew. It smells like mildew in here. Nice. <laughs> uh, Chopper doesn't want to get into a Y-Wing because... That was the kind of ship that he crashed in before Hera found and saved him back in the day when she was a little kid. Then there's another moment where he's just kind of, he's, when they go back to um, Ryloth, the, I think the actual Y-Wing that he crashed in is still there, right? And he just has a moment and kind of checks it out. That's really cool stuff when you later, well, depending on the sequence you watch, you see young Hera with young Chopper. I mean, if a droid can be young in, um, Bad batch, right? Yes. Can we also appreciate how old Y-Wings are? Yeah. Yeah, they were considered, like, old at, at this point. Like, it's like the equivalent of Ezra being, like, like, talks about them, like, it's like finding, like, a P-51 Mustang. Like, these right. things used yeah. to be awesome, you know? And it's yeah. like, yo, they ended up using that to destroy the Empire, like, 20 years later. You're like, yeah. this is insane. Um, So, shout out to Y-Wings. Yo, let's go. Heavy, it's heavy like class bombers. It's like the Warthog of the Rebel fleet. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Bendu, the concept of Bendu, uh, the name Bendu, came from early, early... George Lucas notes about what the force is, who the Jedi are, the Jedi Bendu that we we've laughed so much about. Like, you know, these are all like adaptations of, of Japanese words and names and different things and references, but the Jedi and the Sith wield the Ashla and the Bogan, the dark side and the light or the light side and the dark. There's some pretty deep stuff. Like you can get into all kinds of like early Lucas notes stuff with this. And I won't bore you with all of that. Go do a little reading on just Google Bendu Origin Star Wars. It's a lot of fun stuff to check out. Episode six, The Last Battle. This reminded me of, and I, I hope that this is what they were inspired by, because this is a really interesting story. There's a Japanese officer named Hiro Onoda from uh, World War II. He died in like 2014. He was an Imperial Japanese Army intelligence officer who spent 29 years hiding in the Philippines after the end of World War II, because he just hadn't heard that the war ended. And being as dedicated as those soldiers were, he, despite people showing up and saying, hey, man, what are you doing here? Oh, no, that war ended decades ago. He wouldn't accept that reality until his actual former commander traveled from Japan to formally relieve him from duty by order of the emperor in 1974. <laughs> they drew first blood. Yeah, it's like, yeah. He was bored. He was like, I'm just going to keep doing this. Yeah. So 
this episode where, you know, you got that, that tactical droid with all those battle droids just hanging out, refusing to accept the reality of what happened with the Clone Wars, I, my brain went straight to this. It's an amazing story. The best telling of this I've ever heard is in um, Hardcore History. What's his name? You know, Dan, whatever his name. Hardcore History, the one about World War II in Japan. Check it out. It's epic. Episode 9, these Imperial DT series sentry droids, the big kind of hulky droids that Thrawn is training with, and they make a couple of appearances. Those are inspired by the same Legends game, Star Wars Dark Forces, the droids in that, that inspired the Dark Troopers in The Mandalorian in the finale of Season 2. Thrawn's art collection in his office. So some of this is physical pieces. Some of it is just holograms of of different pieces of art and various things. He's got the Syndulla family Calicori, which they try to steal back. There's a section of wall with Sabine's art on it. There's a temple guard mask, a Jedi temple guard mask, just like um, the ones we saw in in the episode where Kanan had the vision. Do you think that's the Grand Inquisitors? Mm. That would be sick. <gasps> there are a bunch of holograms of things, including ancient Lothal glyphs, sort of uh, cave drawings type, type things. A Mandalorian mural depicting the ancient ancient crusades, which we see in Clone Wars on the wall in the palace on Mandalore, which is amazing. I wish I could get like a full uncropped version of that because I just want to like paint that and put it on my wall back here. <laughs> if anybody has that, send it to me, please. Harrison Duell's family portrait from her father's office. There's a hologram of that. A photo of Ezra Bridger from the Imperial Cadet Records. And then there's also a Phase 2 Clone Trooper helmet in his office that has identical markings to Clone Commander Gree from the Clone Wars, Season 1 yes. and 2. He was also in Revenge of the Sith with his helmet on. We see him with his helmet off in the Clone Wars. He's got the double mohawk. It looks really bad, like he was a dare. Someone's like, dude, you should put do a line down the middle of the mohawk. It would be sick, and it looks terrible. <laughs> it's that guy. It was like an 80s wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Road Warriors. Exactly. You want to know what else is in there? I have my own separate uh, Den of Antiquities list, just so you know. So <laughs> <laughs> They're competing lists. We're going to arm wrestle later. You know what else is in there? The Holy Grail from Indiana Jones. What? <laughs> I saw that. I didn't see that But one. I didn't know what to make of it, so I left it out. So it looks just like the one, the actual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the cup of Carpenter. Yep. Pour that over the wound. I'm actually looking at the Black Series. and Oh, <laughs> is that why you saw that, Nick? What? The the in the black okay 2017 Hasbro did a deluxe version mm. of Thrawn yeah big old set yep yeah and one of the like collector's items that comes with the deluxe set is Grease helmet the Temple Guard's mask and then it is the and the cup of the carpenter cup. yeah mm-hmm. sick nice crossover that's good, <laughs> that's good. episode eleven. On Dathomir, the artifacts in Maul's home. There's not much on what's actually there. It seems like there's a lot of stuff that's hard to identify, but there's the Darksaber, obviously. And then there's a mosaic of Duchess Satine, which it looks like he pulled from the palace on Mandalore, but her eyes and throat are scratched out. Serial killer style, dude. Evan, that's psycho shit, man. It's not. It's like Charles Manson shit. And then there's a bunch of other pictures and stuff in there. It's it's dark shit. You know what else is on there? There's a bunch of Sith writing on the wall. And if you translate it, it says, Kenobi! <laughs> With so, six eyes. Yeah. And four exclamation marks. <laughs> Does it really? 
Yeah. I'm reading this right now from things that I typed out. That is cool. <laughs> and that language is based on Hebrew language? Perhaps. I don't know. The inscript the inscription if we're gonna if we're gonna switch it, a lot of people think that it's Sith on Darth Vader's uh chess box. That's actually Hebrew, right? Right. Oh well. Sick. Mm-hmm. Episode twelve, the shield generator on Geonosis looks just like the one on Hoth in the Empire Strikes Back. Same technology, seems like. It's got those kind of like uh you know, the few half circle ridges. Episode 13, Sabine, we talked about this earlier, Sabine firing the ghost turret through the sand and says, stupid sand, gets everywhere. So good. Uh, episode 14, this will be my last, and then Nick has a handful more. The droids self-destruct countdown, the one that they send back up to the ship, the way it switches the letters. I mean, this is a straight up nod. This has been confirmed. It's a nod to Predator, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, when the Predator turns on his his self-destruct, and lets out that sick laugh. Even the characters look just like it. It's dope. Nick, what do you got? Oh, my God, so much. Remember in Arrested Development when Job is, like, reading Michael's lists of things, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I was just going to say him really clear. Number 32, wireless grabability. Is that one explains itself. I'm just going to keep going through them. But uh, found all these on the Internet, so these aren't uh, normal, you know, pieces of knowledge that I carry with me every day. But uh, there were small updated character outfits. Zeb has an illustration of the Jupa that ate him in season two on mm. his uh, on his new outfit. Sabine has an illustration of a condor on her shoulder armor. And Hera has a rebellion rank insignia now because she is a captain. Official. Official. Okay. So then in Ezra's room, there is a poster of an old pod race that it features Ben Quadraneros on it. Ben Quadraneros! <laughs> this I loved because this is one of those things where you're just like, I want to see that. So the original idea for Bindu in Rebels, not going back to George Lucas, maybe going back to George Lucas, I'm not sure. But the original idea for Bindu was for him to be much larger and actually have the Rebels base on his back. Like that's how big he would have been. <laughs> <laughs> is it like the turtle that carries our flat earth everywhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, Maul's asteroid base, which you see in this uh, season, dates back to the Clone Wars where he used it, but you first saw that in the Son of Dathomir comics. So dates back to the Clone Wars, but not necessarily like the animation. Mm. This was pretty cool. The episode, the Antilles extraction, was originally going to be about Big's Darklighter. Oh, nice. And not Wedge, but Lucasfilm decided that it would complicate the kind of already story about Big's backstory that was there. So yeah. I guess uh, technically like an, someone who is in A New Hope even less than Wedge had more of a backstory like Big's. So they were like, let's yeah. not mess with that. <laughs> let's see what else we got here. Oh, this one's great. I love this. I was waiting for this to happen. But the episode Iron Squadron, which we said is skippable because it is, uh, features a character named Mart Matten, which is named after friend of the pod, Matt Martin. Matt Martin. Nice. Hey, Mart. shout out. They just Star Wars his name up. Mart Matten. Let's switch a few letters around. It'll be fine. It's fine. This one, oh my goodness, I love this. In order to create a Geonosian that we could have sympathy for, the producers of that specific uh, two-episode arc looked to District 9 for inspiration. That makes a lot of sense. It's the eyes. 
Speaking of eyes, hey, look at this segue. Wait. The episode Through Imperial Eyes was initially intended to be from the first person perspective the entire episode. If you think back to that episode, the first like minute or two is that way. Yeah. But they, they deemed it too difficult to create an, an entire episode that way. I, I honestly thought that they were going to do that when I first saw yeah, it. Right? And I thought that was going to be a skippable episode because of that. Yeah. Like, immediately I was like, well, this is going to suck. And then like yeah. they switched, but and it ended up being such a good episode but i was like yeah. this is gonna be first person the whole time it's just gonna be like it's gonna be a skippable thing like, yeah i'm not watching twitch and star wars what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> i really loved that one i should have ended with that one but uh this is then this came out before rogue one did we figure that out yes yes this season okay so then this is the first time seeing death troopers is in rebels yeah yeah you're right yep you're right that is right so i'm i'm assuming at this point the concept art was started a year and a half ago. Lucasfilm is in charge. I mean, this is like tons of Lucas art department is working together on a live action movie. Yeah. And the art is coming out of Lucasfilm. Totally makes sense. Um, and yes, you're right. Timeline works out. I don't know if it's a, uh, I don't know if this is like a den of, den of antiquities thing, but it's like, it was a, it was a nod that I really appreciated during this uh, season was, when Rex suggests the sword and shield maneuver. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the last battle. And it is so just dead on the way that he and Ahsoka work together to escape yep. the Star Destroyer at the end of the Clone War series. Just like she's blocking all the blaster bolts and he's just firing, you know, like the way that he's working with a Jedi at that point, obviously they that, that was just a tactic that clone troopers used considering all their generals were Jedi. I thought that was a really great moment of just tying in that whole thing, especially with how much that whole episode dealt with everything he had gone through in Clone Wars and him kind of finding closure in his life in a weird way with that episode. Nick, this episode, the finale aired March 17th, 2017. So, Oh, after. Okay. After. So mm -hmm. Death Troopers were on Rogue One before we saw them. But canonically canonic timeline wise yeah good point yeah. <laughs> good point i see your point and raise you that canonically i raise you that that was <laughs> crosshairs buddies <laughs> i see your point raise yeah. you a nerd <laughs> i love you i know favorite episodes you want me to just order for the table right now yeah do it yes get around Episode 20, Twin Sons, it cannot be challenged. Here's what it is. So let's hear, let's hear from the patrons. We'll hear some comments and then listen to the, uh, the landslide percentage results for the winners. Nick, you want to give us some comments from the patrons who we polled? The comments are exactly what you would think. Twin Sons. Logan Foy says Twin Sons takes it. Antilles Extraction deserves an honorable mention. Mark Kriska says, I feel bad for all the other episodes, but Twin Sons wins. No contest. <laughs> <laughs> the one, Chris Davis says, I'm the odd man out, but the whole time I was watching Din with the Darksaber, I was thinking of Kanan and Sabine training in episode 15, Trials of the Darksaber. So that gets his vote. So that's uh, quite literally the only non-Twin Sons comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us, a, give us the percentages since we know that the winner is going to be 
Twin Sons. Okay, so the winner with 80% is episode 20, Twin Sons. And then. So not as much of a landslide. Well, I mean, it's that and then three episodes tied at 6%, which were <laughs> okay. episode 10. All right, all right. And Inside Man, episode 12, Ghost of Geonosis, part one, and uh, Trials of the Dark Saber. It is what it is. Good job, Dave and company. I mean, you, you know, like you, you still listen to the rest of the album. You know, you got like your legendary radio hit, but the, the, mm-hmm. the rest of the album's still good. And that's what we're working with here. Let's wrap this up because it's getting super long. We have a quote of the week. Mike, you want to read this? Sure, let's do it. This comes from the wise Jedi Master, Obi-Wan. He says in this episode of Twin Sons, if you define yourself by your power to take life, a desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing. And I think if we apply that to literally every bad guy in Star Wars, pretty much they were all driven by the ability to dominate, Palpatine was driven by the power to possess. The Empire ruled through fear. And how did it end up for all of them? Losers. Obi-Wan was right. Yep. Trust old Ben. All right, let's get out of here. Dion, tell the people where to find you on social media. What do you have coming up? What's happening? I pretty much only have Instagram. And by pretty much, I mean I only have Instagram. So <laughs> D Rex wrote is my Instagram handle. Don't worry about the underscore. It comes up if you just search it as that. I am in the Am <laughs> am in the Anne Berlin, the band Anne Berlin. We <laughs> are currently recording some new songs right now. Nice. Uh, for a second EP, our first EP is going to be re- uh, first new EP will be released here in next month or two. So you can expect some new music from us. Looking forward to that. I'm excited. It's first new music since 2014. Pretty big. Pretty stoked. That's my story. That's all I got. If you listeners want to follow the podcast on social media, we are at Thank the Maker Pod on Instagram and TikTok. We are at Thank the Maker on Twitter. All of my stuff is at Adam the Skull. All my social media is at Nick Bayside. Please listen to episode 44 of the Radio Radio Show. You could listen to New Tune from Metric, New Tune from The Insides, Waxahachie. It's fun. It's chill. It's like what it's Noah's Arcade. college radio used to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much Noah's Arcade. And I made a big deal out of this yesterday, but our one-year anniversary of Armor Party podcast. We are premiering it next week, but I'm revealing the guest that was Brian Matias, who is the concept designer for The Mandalorian, season one and two. Nice. You've seen his work. He has been incredibly innovative to the costuming community. Um, but more excited about that is just the fact that it's been one year since we started the Thank the Maker Network, and look at all we have accomplished. So Armor Party Show on Instagram. You can find me in Honda Supply on Instagram. You know what? This has been quite amazing, guys. Look at this. One year. Hell of a season. Hell of a year. Yep. Season one wraps up next week. Good times. If Ezra was a real person, he would be a guest on Armored Party because <laughs> he has a quite a collection of he like, cosplay. He like, hey, kid, do you have this one yet? Nope. <laughs> All right. Exactly. I would also say possibly Sabine, too. I'd be like, yeah, so tell me about your process. How do you like paint up your stuff? Yeah. Like, what's your color inspiration? <laughs> 
Sick. Well, Dion, thanks again for being here. This has been um, a long time coming. Absolutely. I'm so stoked. It's good to have yet another bass player on the podcast. <laughs> Patrons, thank you for being here with us. Listeners, if you want to be here and hang with us live also, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you can go to do that. You can also get exclusive merch, access to our Discord server, a few different tiers. Check it out. And until next week, may the force be with you. 